You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we analyze the history of people of color in the Bible. When we understand God's word, we see that people of color were never an afterthought in the mind of God. Let's get started. Um, But I want you to meet me in Genesis chapter 9. Now, if you are good at finding scriptures in your Bible, if you have it, uh, then then you're going to love today. If you're not so good, you, you may want to just uh, pretend like you know where all of these books are. <laughs> but, but please lean heavily on the app and follow me on the screens behind me because all of the scriptures, all of what I'm going to share with you is in the app. And I do that on purpose because I really want you to not just have a great Sunday experience, want you to be able to refer back to these notes and maybe even share them with friends and family members. Um, but we're going to get into a lot today, and I want to start in Genesis chapter 9 as we are in week 3 of this amazing series on race, reconciliation, and righteousness. I want to go back to where we started on last week. Genesis chapter 9, verse 18 says this. It says, The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and here's the most important thing, and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. We know that there was a flood because of the the sinfulness and the corruption and wickedness of the world. God started over with Noah. He flooded the earth, wiped everything away except Noah, his family, and the animals. And when Noah comes out of the ark, this is verse 1 of Genesis 9, it says that God blessed them and told them to be fruitful and populate the earth. This is why again in verse 18 and 19, it says, These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came all of the people that were scattered over the whole earth. This is really important. This is why I'm stressing this. So we know that the entire earth was populated after the flood from Noah and his three sons. Genesis chapter 10 verse 6 gives us even more information about the descendants of Noah's son, Ham. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. In Genesis chapter 10, chapter 10 is something called the table of nations. Because in Genesis chapter 10, it shows us all of the different nations and people that came from Noah and his descendants, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. In Genesis 10 and verse 6, it says, the sons of Ham. Ham had four sons, Cush, Egypt, depending on your Bible translation, it will say Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. Very, very important. Let me say it again. Ham had four sons. I shared with you on last week that Cush is the father of Ethiopians. Mizraim, some translations translated Egypt because he is the father of the Egyptians. Put is the father of Libya and Libyans, which is also a part of North Africa. And Canaan is the father of the Canaanites and a lot of the ites that you will see in the Bible. Uh, And Canaan is right there nestled in what we now know is the Middle East. So I want us to start there because today in part three of this series on race, reconciliation, and righteousness, I want to talk for a few moments about it didn't start with Black Panther. And I want to give you part number one of this. Look at somebody around you and tell them it didn't start with Black Panther. I'm going to give you part one today and we'll get into part two on next Sunday. Many of you are aware of the significance and the success of Black Panther, the movie. Black Panther was a movie phenomenon that impacted the world greatly. As a matter of fact, people all over the world flooded the movies to see Black Panther and they loved it. But it also had a very special and significant impact in particular on people of color. Not just because it was another installment in the Marvel Universe of films. Black Panther had a profound impact on the lives of people of color because it did what most movies and television shows rarely do. Black Panther portrayed people of color 
and particularly people of African descent as intelligent, as principled, as beautiful leaders and heroes. And not only did people of color bombard the theaters in their African attire to see Black Panther, but in addition to individuals, there were organizations and there were um, regular individuals and wealthy individuals that came together and they bought movie tickets by the hundreds and even rented buses to ensure that as many kids of color as possible could see the movie. Because what they wanted was they wanted children to see the truth of how people of African descent really are. They wanted these kids to be encouraged and inspired by these positive portrayals of people of color. And I was one of those individuals. My wife and I, I mean, we were front and center um, with our children, and we encouraged as many kids and others to go see the movie because it was uplifting to see the positive portrayal of people of color. Unlike, I don't, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I, I don't know the last time that that was portrayed quite to that degree. But the truth is, as good as Black Panther the movie is, the reality that people of African-American descent, that reality that, that they are and we are intelligent and principled and beautiful and creative and leaders and heroes, it didn't start with Black Panther. It started, truthfully, at the beginning of time, and that story has been in the Bible for thousands of years. Now, we're going to dig deep in the Word of God today, but I think it's important that we start here. First of all, the Bible is the inerrant, infallible, authoritative Word of God. The Bible is the only place that we can go to receive Listen to me, a totally accurate and objective understanding of race. See, when people say things like Christianity is a white man's religion, what's evident when people say that is that they don't know the Bible, and in particular, they do not know their biblical history or their own history. Because when you understand biblical history, you realize that people of color were never an afterthought in the mind of God. That's so important. I'm going to say that again. When you understand biblical history, you realize that people of color were never, never an afterthought in the mind of God. But instead, you understand that people of color have always been at the heart of God's story and have been central figures in God's plan of redemption. When you understand biblical history, you also recognize that racism of any kind has always been a terrible sin in the eyes of God and worthy of his severest judgment. This is why I really believe that instead of occasionally highlighting black history in February, I believe that every church, black, white, or other, should disciple their members to have a historically accurate biblical understanding of the presence of black people in the Bible. Because without it, people of color will always try to define themselves based on a warped sense of history. See, anytime people have an incomplete or an accurate view of themselves, it affects everything. It affects their actions, it affects their outlook, it affects their sense of self-worth, and it will lead people to mistakenly believe that this notion of positive portrayals of people of color started with Black Panther. But it didn't. It started with the Word of God. Well, how do you know this, Bishop? Well, I'm glad you asked. I got three amens, two and a half right there. First of all, we got to start and go all the way back to the place where Adam was born. You got to go back to the place where Adam was born. Start 
with me in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Start with me in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. We're going to be flipping through a lot of scriptures. It may seem like I'm moving fast, and it's because I'm going to try to get part one of this done today. So just flow along with me on the screen. Our tech team and media team, they're going to be on it. It says, then the Lord God formed a man from the what? Dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east. So get this. God made Adam, made Adam, made Eve, and then we, we learn about this garden. God planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and put the man there that he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden was a tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here's what I want you to see. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and there it separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx is also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of what? Cush. Now, we know that Cush is where? Ethiopia. It's not a trick question. Winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Now, they're going to put a map up that will show you what's called the Fertile Crescent. Now, if you see this map, that part in the green is a part of the Fertile Crescent. It's called the Fertile Crescent because if you think about the crescent shape of a moon. Now, let me give you the background of this. There's a lot of debate um, historically around where the Garden of Eden was, um, but where, what there is no debate about is that civilization started there. The reason that there's a little bit of the debate about where exactly Eden was is because over time, maps have been drawn and redrawn. So some of the debate settles around some of the parts that are considered the Middle East long ago in earlier maps were also considered part of Africa. But maps were drawn and redrawn, and so now you have this division of the Middle East. But regardless of that debate, here's what we know. We know that we can trace to some degree the, 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 the place of Eden because if you pay attention to those rivers, those rivers are still existing. Are you following me? So that green area just shows you the Tigris, the Euphrates, and you come all the way down into Egypt, and really it should flow all the way down a little bit more because we know that the Bible says that one of the rivers flows all the way into Cush, which we know is Ethiopia. This map doesn't show Ethiopia that well, but if you come a little further down from, from Egypt and in, into Sudan, you would move right into Ethiopia. So here's the point that I want you to understand. The Bible says that God made man, Adam, from the dirt of the ground, from the dust of the ground in an area near the Garden of Eden. So now I have seen, I've seen red dirt. Grew up in Georgia, Georgia red clay. I've been to Arizona and the Red Rock Mountains. I've seen all kinds of shades of red dirt. I've seen black dirt. I've seen, I've seen brown dirt. I've never seen white dirt. I've seen white sand. But I've never seen white dirt. But even if white dirt exists in parts of the world that maybe I've never been to, what I can for sure tell you, because I've been to this area on the map, I've been to Egypt, I've been to the Middle East, I've been around the Fertile Crescent, I can sure enough tell you that the dirt in this part of the world is not white. So the first thing that you got to start with when you start dealing with the presence of people of color in the Bible is number one, the place where Adam was born. The second thing you got to deal with though is you got to deal with the problem of Noah's birth. Number two, you got to deal with the problem of Noah's birth. Now, I want you to, to go back to Genesis 5, and we're going to pick up at verse 21. It says this. I want you to track with me. We're going somewhere. It says, when Enoch, 
had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more because God took him away. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. After he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived a total of 969 years, and then he died. Yeah, I think it's about time to check out after 969. I think it's about time to get up out of here after 969 years, and then he died. But notice this. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son, and he named him what? Noah. And he said, he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands and Caused by the ground, the Lord had cursed. After Noah was born, Lamech lived 595 years, had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Lamech lived a total of 777 years, and then he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Track with me. Look at me. Look at me. I want you to follow this. Enoch had a son by the name of Methuselah. Methuselah had a son by the name of Lamech. Lamech had Noah. Let's go backwards. Noah's father was a man named Lamech. Lamech's father was a man named Methuselah, Noah's grandfather. Methuselah's father was Enoch, Noah's great-grandfather. I want you to track with me because I want you to understand who Enoch was. He is one of the few people in the Bible that never experienced death. The Bible says he walked with God until he was no more because Enoch um, walked with God, but he was also Noah's great-grandfather, all right? All right? But Enoch, in addition to being Noah's great-grandfather, Enoch also was a prophet. Some of you didn't know that. I want to show you something in the book of Jude. Don't worry about turning to it. It's the book right before the book of Revelations, but, but I want to show you in Jude 1 and verse 14, it says, Enoch... The seventh from Adam prophesied, there it is, about them. So he was Noah's great-grandfather, but Enoch also was a prophet. And Jude says, you know, this is the prophecy that Enoch prophesied a long time ago, saying, see, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone, to convict all of them of their ungodly acts that they've committed and their ungodliness and all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Jude talks about Enoch, the great-grandfather of Noah, who was also a prophet. Now, stay with me. In 1946, there was the discovery of something called the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, this past fall, when we took over 250 people to Israel and, and literally went to the Middle East, we, we actually went to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea um, is, is a phenomenal place in the Middle East, but right near the Dead Sea um, is where they found what's called the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's in a place called the Caves of Qumran. In 1946, archaeologists were digging uh, around that area and found where the Essenes that were a monastic community, they, they withdrew from um, the big city in Jerusalem, and they were living in the desert as kind of monks, well, they, they had a community there, they farmed and everything else, and they were, they were really stringent in their practice of, of walking with God. And so this group, they were existing thousands and thousands of years ago. So they, they've all died. This is thousands of years ago when they were living in this community. Well, in 1946, archaeologists began to, to excavate and do digs in this area around the Dead Sea, discovered where these Essenes used to live. And not only did they discover where they used to live, but they also discovered these ancient texts that this group had as they were living and studying the Word of God. They discovered hundreds of these ancient uh, books and pieces of the Bible. And what this, this archaeological find, what it did, 
was it further substantiated the Bible. Because what they found was they found pieces of the book of Psalms. They found parts of the book of Isaiah, parts of the book of Deuteronomy. But they also found books that are not in the Bible canon, not in the 66 books that we have in the Bible, but they found books that gave further insight into Jewish history back thousands of years ago and during the time when Jesus walked the earth. So this was, this was an amazing archaeological find. They, they dug in that area for like 10 plus years and they kept discovering more stuff. Part of what they discovered in the, in, the, in the caves of Qumran, in, in what's called the Dead Sea Scrolls findings, they discovered, watch this, something called the Book of Enoch. Enoch, Noah's great-grandfather, who also was a prophet, wrote a book. It is not a part of the 66 books of the Bible. But it is a tremendous book that gives greater insight into Jewish history. You can fact check me on this. All you got to do is go Google the book of Enoch. Uh, you can actually even download the book of Enoch. So if you're Googling, you pull it up and it's right there. But I want to share something with you from the book of Enoch. It is not in the Bible. But it is a part of Jewish history. For Bible scholars that are following me and watching me, here's what you must know. There are other books that are not a part of the Bible that we study because they give us greater insight into Jewish history. There's a man by the name of Josephus, who's a Jewish historian who wrote books called the Antiquities that, that, that we study to understand more of Jewish culture. So I don't want you to think, oh, pastor, he's just left the building. He's just, he's just, Bishop has just gone crazy because now he's quoting books that are not in the Bible. I just want you to understand that in addition to Josephus, Enoch had a book. It's called the Book of Enoch, and it shares insight into Jewish history. Are you with me? I want to share something with you from the Book of Enoch. They're going to put it on the screen. The Book of Enoch, 105, and it starts around verse 1, because he begins to talk about the birth of Noah. He says, after a time, my son Methuselah, we've already seen that. Enoch had a son named Methuselah. Methuselah had a son named Lamech. Lamech had Noah. It says, after a time, my son Methuselah took a wife for his son Lamech. Here we go. She became pregnant by him and brought forth a child the flesh of which was as white as snow and red as a rose, the hair of whose head was like wool. Wool. Anybody know what wool looks like? And long. This kid had a fro. They didn't have pressing combs and straight combs. It wasn't straight. It was woolly and it was long. Fro. Anybody know what an afro is up in here, up in here? And whose eyes were beautiful. When he opened them, he illuminated all the house like the sun. Say with me. The whole house abounded with light. And when he was taken from the hand of the midwife, opening his mouth, he spoke to the Lord of righteousness. Then Lamech, his father, look at this, was afraid of him. And flying away, I don't think he just flew away. I think that means he ran. And flying away, came to his own father, Methuselah. So, so here, here, here it is. He said, I got to go tell my daddy something's wrong. Because I don't want him hearing through social media and Facebook and Twitter that this kid, something's wrong. So I'm going to go tell my daddy. So he goes to his father, Methuselah, and says, I have begotten a son. Unlike to other children. He, ain't, he don't look nothing like these other children. <laughs> he is not human but resembling the offspring of the angels of heaven is of a different nature from ours being altogether unlike to us. Here's the question. I hope y'all still with me. If everybody was white, why was Lemek so scared when Noah was born. Y'all sleep. It says when the baby came out, he was white 
as snow, and his daddy was scared. Like, wait a hold up, up in here. And he ran to tell his father, Dad, I just want you to know, when you see your grandson, he don't look nothing like us. So if everybody was white, why did Noah, when he was born, scare his father? Why did his father say, he, he looks like an angel to me. He don't look nothing like none of us. Are y'all tracking with me? But y'all quiet. Okay, so since you're not talking to me, I'll, I'll just keep talking to myself. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Here it is. In most cases, in, in many cases, with the exception of some strange anomalies, white couples cannot produce black babies. Okay? But a black couple can produce white babies. Some of you are like, I, I don't, you lost me. Anybody heard of albinos? Or, anybody familiar with uh, albinism? All right, there's some pictures that they'll put up. All right? Al al albinos are black. Are you familiar with albinism? Black people can produce white babies. White, ba white people cannot produce black babies. He says he was, he was white as snow. His hair was red and woolly. There, there's a picture of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of an albino young boy with red hair. The boy is still black. Based on the Jewish history that we have access to, Noah most likely looked like that. I'm teaching better than your responder. That is not a white person. That is a person of color. Some of you are like, but you lost me. Okay, I'll give you further evidence. Noah's children. Noah has children. And his children's name, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. All right? Uh, Pastor Quentin and Sly, come up, come up here real quick. Uh, Sly, I think you can, you, you'll have to do for, for today. <laughs> Here's what I want you to see. Shem's name, Shem, means dusky. Come on in the light. Come on in the light. <laughs> now, Pastor Quentin would, would be kind of dusky, right? He's like paper sack brown, right? That's dusky, Okay. All right, Ham's name means the black one or the dark one. I would, I would be Ham, right? I'm dark all day, all day. You hear me? Right. But Japheth's name means fair. Come on in here, Pastor Sly. Look at him. Amen. He's some fair. Look at you. Got your, he, he's fair, ain't he? Amen. Y'all think he passed for fair, right? Some of y'all are like, I don't know. Well, you know, I mean, he'll do for today. But my point is, Noah has three boys, Right? Oh, actually, Noah has three sons, all right? Three men, Shem, Ham, Japheth. Ham, Shem, Dusky, Japheth, Fair. Thank you, guys. Once again, white people cannot produce black babies. Can I get an amen up in here? Amen. But the uniqueness of our ancestry and our tradition is that people of color can produce all kinds of shades. Are you following me? So number one, you, you got to focus on the place where Adam was born. Number two, you, you got to understand the problem with Noah's birth. But uh, let's drop into number three, and this is where I really want to go. Uh, so Lord, help me do this in a timely fashion. I, I want to take some time, and I want to deal with number three, the people of color in the Bible. I'm going to give you part one of this, and I'll give you part two on next week. But let's go back to Genesis 10 and verse 6. It says that, that, that Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Genesis 10 and 6 says, one of Noah's sons, Ham, he had four sons. Cush, we've already established, is Ethiopia. Mizraim is Egypt. Put is Libya. Canaan, Middle East. 
The reason why this is so important is because this gives us all of the information we need to do Ancestry.com on the people in the Bible. This gives us everything we need. We can straight up do 23andMe on everybody in the Bible. Because we know that prior to Noah, the world was wiped out. God wiped everybody off the face of the earth except Noah and his sons and literally tells them, y'all populate, be fruitful, multiply, populate the earth. And Genesis 10 to 6 literally tells us that it is from Noah's boys and their grandchildren, Noah's grandchildren, his sons and his sons' sons and all of their descendants, that the whole earth was populated. So in an incontrovertible way, we can look at Ham's descendants because we know that Ham's descendants, every one of them, with the exception of Canaan that went into the Middle East, every one of Ham's descendants except Canaan, Cush, Mizraim, and Put, they go to North Africa. So anyone who is connected to Cush, Mizraim, or Put, they are of African descent. Are you tracking with me? This is why you all never read through genealogies in the Bible too quickly. There are gems in genealogies. A lot of times we get to genealogies and we're like, and so-and-so beget so-and-so. Skip. I want to get to the story part, right? No, 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 no. No, there are gems. There are gems in genealogies. Don't read through genealogies too fast. There are gems in genealogies because through those genealogies, you can trace the origin of where people came from and hence understand that people of color were never an afterthought in the heart of God. That we've been there from the very beginning. Give you the first person. There's a guy by the name of Nimrod. Nimrod. Where is Nimrod? Genesis 10 and verse 8 says, Cush, Ethiopia, was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. This is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first sinners of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akdad, uh, Kalne, and Shinar. From that land, he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ir, Kala, and Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kala, which is that great city. Stop right there. Nineveh is, is a city that we've looked at through um, the lens of Jonah. We talked about how mighty it was. But, but, but all of these empires, Nineveh and Babylon, guess who was the, the creator of them? A guy by the name of Nimrod. Nimrod was the father of the two greatest empires in the Bible and in world history, particularly Assyria and Babylon. He was the first leader of, of a world civilization, and he was a man of color. So it's great that our children go to school and learn about Napoleon and learn about Genghis Khan, but you ought to tell them, but before Napoleon and Genghis Khan and, and everybody else, there was a black man by the name of Nimrod who started the world's first civilizations. Are you following me? Nimrod was a man of color, but I got more for you. Joseph's wife, Asnath, and sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Joseph had a wife named Asnath, and she bore him two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Let me tell you why this is important, because often, particularly um, when we study Joseph's life, we focus on him and the story. He was, he was left for dead by his brothers and sold into slavery and all of that, and how God took him, took him from the pit to the palace, and yeah, thank you, Lord, and we will shout about Joseph, but we will ignore his family. Joseph got more than position when he became a leader in Pharaoh's house. Joseph also got a wife. Look at Genesis 41. Let's start at verse 45. It says, Pharaoh gave Joseph the name of Zaphenath Pani, which is an uh, Egyptian name, and gave him, here it is, Asnath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his what? Wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. You keep drop, drop down around verse 50, and it says, Before the years of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asnath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget 
all my troubles and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So get this, Joseph is in Egypt. He's working in Pharaoh's house, finds favor with Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, man, I'm gonna hook you up. He marries an Egyptian woman named Asnath. She's black, y'all. She's Egyptian. She's of African descent. Are y'all tracking with me? Two years before the famine, she gives birth to Joseph's two boys. And if you know your Bible, these names ought to stand out, Ephraim and Manasseh. So when Joseph is reunited with his father and his family, and he blesses them, fast forward, his father, Jacob, Israel, is getting ready to die. And so go with me to Genesis 48, verse 1. It says, sometime later... Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, here we go, Manasseh and Ephraim along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, he rallied his strength. I love it. He wouldn't die before seeing his son. He sat up in the bed and Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me in Luz in the land of Canaan. And there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. And I will make you a company or a community of people, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, here it is. Your two sons born to you in Egypt, in Africa, before I came to you here, will be reckoned as mine. Y'all don't know when to shout. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. They get brought in to the 12 tribes of Israel. Oh man, this is so good. God, I love your word. Drop down to verse 89, and it says, uh, Joseph brings his sons in. I'm just giving you uh, the shortened version for time. It says, when Israel saw the sons of Joseph, I love it. He, he says, who are these? It, it's, it's, a, it's an affectionate kind of thing. When they come in and see their grandfather, you know, this is their way of saying, look at you. <laughs> Boy, you got big, you know. He says, who, who are these? Joseph says, they, they are the sons that God has given to me here. And Joseph said to his father, then Israel said, bring them to me so that I may bless them. Hallelujah. Uh, drop down to verse 20. He goes on and says, and it says, he blessed them that day and said this, in your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. You, you, you just missed it. The blessing that, that, that Israel, that Jacob pronounces over, over, over Ephraim and Manasseh, his African grandsons, he says that, that, that I want you to be so blessed that when people in Israel think about you, may they say, may you be blessed like Ephraim and Manasseh. You just missed a good place to shout. Do, do you understand the level of blessing that is on your ancestry? Do, do you understand that even in the Old Testament, God had you on his mind and said, I want to bless you to the degree that people walk around and say, I want to be blessed like Ephraim and Manasseh. Hallelujah. The reason that this is also important is because I want you to see this. The Bible is very clear. Listen to me. The blessing of God has never been a matter of skin color. But instead, it has always been about lineage. The blessing of God has never been racial. It's been positional. The blessing of God has never been about your skin color. Instead, it has been about who is your father. And in that moment, when Jacob refuses to die before he blesses Ephraim and Manasseh, he blesses them and brings them in to the lineage that traces all the way back to Abraham. Do you understand that? 
And so if you fast forward and go over into Joshua and see when they get into the land and the promised land, you see that Ephraim and Manasseh get land because they are part of the blessed family. That's your history. Teach Bishop, I am. Let's see if I can do a few more. Am I boring you? You guys want me to cut it off now? Okay, can you give me a little bit more time? Is this all right? Let's keep it rolling. Moses, his father-in-law, Jethro, was a man of color. Let's do some work right here. Go to Judges chapter 1. Just follow me on the screen. All of these notes are in the TWC app. It says this. It says, the descendants of Moses' father-in-law, the Kenite, that's the key, went up from the city of Palms, um, and the people of Judah lived among the inhabitants of the desert of Judah in the Negev near Arad. Moses' father-in-law, the Kenite. Now, let's go back to Genesis 15, because that's your clue. Moses' father-in-law was a Kenite. Genesis 15 is when God is sharing with Abraham all of the land that the children of Israel are going to inherit. These are all of the descendants of the Canaanites. He says, the land of the what? Kenites. Ah, there it is. Kenizzites, Kadamites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, Jebusites, all the ites. My point is, they all came from Canaan. Are you following me? So now we know Moses' father-in-law was a Kenite, which traces him all the way back to Canaan, which traces him back to who? Ham. Let's keep going. Some of you may remember Moses' father-in-law's name. He goes by two names depending on translation. Some translations call him Rule. Other translations call him Jethro. What's important, though, is that Jethro, or Rule, gave Moses the greatest single piece of advice about leadership, about administration, about political strategy, and about personal planning that has ever been recorded in the Bible. This is called the Jethro Principle. And I, uh, when, when, when I would do leadership teaching around the world for Dr. John Maxwell, I would teach this principle. Lead, leaders who, who talk about good business management and, and leadership principles, they know the Jethro principle, but what they don't know is that Jethro was a man of color. Let me show you what he, what he blessed Moses with. Exodus 18 and verse 13. It says, the next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. And when his father-in-law, there he is, so all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, man, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I'll give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way that they ought to live and how they ought to behave, but select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so, and God so commands, you will be able to stand a strain and all these people will go home satisfied. And here it is. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. That was a brother. They said, uh, 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 M M Moses, son, come here. Now, I've been looking at the way you've been doing this, but this ain't going to work. Do you hear me? Listen to what I'm trying to tell you. you. You need a new strategy. And it says that he did everything that his father-in-law told him because Moses' father-in-law was a person of color. But not only was Moses' father-in-law a person of color. Oh, this is so good. But Moses' first wife. Zipporah and his son Gershom were people of color. 
Let's go back to when Moses murders a man, buries him in the sand, and starts running for his life. This is Exodus 2, verse 15. It says, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by the well. Now, a priest in Midian has seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to rescue, came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to rule, there he is. Sometimes he's called rule, sometimes he's called Jethro. Their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? And they answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Rule, Jethro asked his daughters, why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah. I see you, Moses. In marriage, Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. So not only is Moses' father-in-law a person of color, but Moses' first wife, a woman named Zipporah, is a woman of color. And Moses and Zipporah have a son named Gershom. Are you still with me? But, but it gets even better because if you go over to Exodus chapter 4, verse 24, this is after the burning bush episode. It says, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Oh, this is so good. God was getting ready to take Moses out because Moses was not circumcised. Can you handle this? God's getting ready to wipe him out and his queen of a sister. His, his wife of African descent. Say, you ain't going to touch my husband. Say, come here. She circumcises her son, takes that foreskin, touches Moses' feet. God says, you got it. Brothers, y'all don't know when to shout. What I'm trying to tell you, brothers, women of color have been saving our lives since Moses. Can I get an amen for the sisters up in here, up in here, up in here? Hallelujah. Some sisters, y'all mad? Y'all like, I wish you would have said that before. Wish you would have told my husband before. Well, I'm telling you now. Moses' first wife was a woman of color. Lord, I got to hurry up. Moses' second wife. <laughs> I guess Moses liked the sisters. <laughs> Moses' second wife was also a woman of color. I, I got to share this with you. Check this out. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. Says this. Miriam and Aaron began to talk about Moses because of his what? Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Now we know Cush, Cush, Ethiopia. Cush was one of the sons of Ham, right? You, you following me? Right. Now Zipporah, Moses' first wife, all right, this was the day when you could have multiple wives. Moses' first wife goes all the way back to Canaan, okay? But now his second wife goes back to Cush. So now, I guess, he had him a Middle Eastern kind of woman. He said, I want to check out these Ethiopians. <laughs> but check this out. Miriam and, and his brother, so his brother and his sister, they're okay with Zipporah. But the moment that he marries this Cushite woman, now, see, now you're going over into another part of, of the land, and now you married a foreigner. They got a problem with it. They start murmuring. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? His own family's turning against him, not because he did anything wrong, but just because he married a different woman of color. Has the Lord only spoken through Moses, they asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. 
Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And at once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. God said, oh, okay, all right. Come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. And he stood at the entrance to the tent and he summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. He said, when there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. When I speak with him, I speak face to face. Clearly and not in riddles, he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. And when the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as... I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Come on, Derby, talk to me. Y'all there? It became as white as snow. God said, first of all, y'all tripping. Moses ought to be able to marry whoever he wants to marry. But since y'all got nerve to talk about my man, my homeboy. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. His glory lifted. <sighs> Miriam has leprosy. Her skin is as white as snow. And if you keep reading that story, Aaron starts freaking out. Oh, no, God, please, no. And Moses intervenes and starts praying that God would take the judgment away. Can you even pray for the people that try to undercut you? That's a whole other message, a whole other time. I don't have time to deal with that. I don't have time to deal with that. But, 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 but here's the point. The punishment for Miriam was she got leprosy and her skin was white as snow. In the Bible, dark skin is never looked at as bad, but white skin is. Throughout the Bible, listen to me, white skin is associated with sin. White skin throughout the Bible is the punishment of sin when somebody contracts leprosy. Whenever somebody got leprosy, their skin turned white. It, this is so much better than y'all responding. Would you look at your neighbor and say, I'm, thank God I'm down to be brown. Amen. I'm down to be brown. I'm down to be brown. I am down to be brown. Do you hear what I'm trying to tell you? Mm. This is so, I may have to cut it off right here, guys. I'm looking at the time. Lord have mercy. Huh. Can I give you a few more? If, if, listen, if you just got to go, I understand. We normally try to do 90 minutes. This is so good, though. It's, just, it's hard to do real quick. Let me, let me give you a few more, and then, then we'll, we'll, we'll cut this thing off, and I'll give you more next Sunday. Eleazar's wife, the daughter of Pudiel and his son Phineas. Eleazar's wife, the daughter of Pudiel and his son Phineas. Who is Eleazar? He was the son of Aaron, who was a high priest. Go to Exodus 6, verse 25. It says this, Eleazar, son of Aaron, married one of the daughters of Putiel. Putiel literally means daughter of put. Ham had four sons. Cush, Mizraim, put, it's Libya, and Canaan. So Eleazar, who was a high priest, the son of Aaron, married the daughter of Putiel, married a descendant, a woman from Put, and she bore him Phineas. These were the heads of the Levite families, clan by clan. Putiel, meaning come from the family of Put, but watch this. Phineas, the name Phineas means the Negro or the Nubian. So Eleazar marries a woman of color, and he has a son that they call Phineas, which means the Negro or the Nubian. Phineas was a bad boy in a good way. First Chronicles chapter 9, verse 20 says this. It says, in earlier times, Phineas, son of Eleazar, was the official in charge of the gatekeepers. Here it is. And the Lord was with him. Do you hear what I'm trying to tell you? The, the Bible's trying to tell you he wasn't just no regular dude. Do you hear me? He, he wasn't just some run-of-the-mill Joe. No, the Lord was with him. 
Bible says, no, God, God was with this dude. And, I, and I'll show you why God was with him in such an important way. I want you to go to Numbers chapter 25 and verse 1. And maybe I'll stop here. Numbers 25 verse 1 says this, because I got to unpack this. It says, when Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices of their gods. So here's what happened. The children of Israel are on their way into the promised land. And they began, I guess these Moabite women will fly, what have you, but they began to indulge in immorality with them. And a part of their relationship with these Moabite women led them to worship this idol god. It says the people ate at the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves, that means they connected themselves to Baal of Peor, which is an idol. Because they were having sex with these Moabite women and, and doing what they were doing. They, they, they yoked themselves, they connected themselves to this idol God. And the Lord's anger burned against them. God became hot, mad. The Lord said to Moses, here's what I want you to do. Take all the leaders of these people and kill them. Expose them in broad daylight before the Lord so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. God says, if you don't kill these people and display them for everybody else to see, my anger is not going to turn away from the rest of y'all. You got to do this. So Moses said to Israel's judges, each of you must put to death those of your people who have yoked, connected themselves to the Baal of Peor, that idol god. So Moses is saying, this is what we got to do. This is hard. We got to kill them all. I know we love them. I know this is our family. We got to kill them. Now Moses is telling these judges what God said. And then it, check this out. It says, then an Israelite man, right as Moses is talking, an Israelite man brought into the camp a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Let me give you the picture. God says, you got to kill every one of them that's doing this. Moses goes and tells his leaders, they're brokenhearted. They don't want to have to do this. That means they're going to lose friends. They are weeping at the tent. And then this joker brings this Midianite woman up into the camp in front of Moses and everybody else. He's like, I don't care what y'all say. This woman's so fine, it's going down tonight. So now Moses and the people are weeping because they're getting ready to kill all these folk. This joker comes up in there. I don't care what God had to say. I don't care why y'all weeping. Don't make no, don't make no sense to me. I, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Moses and the people are like, I, you can't believe this guy. You see this dude? Did he not just hear what's getting ready to come down? But then it says, when Phineas, here he is, <laughs> son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this. He left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelite into the tent. Everybody else, Moses, the rest of the leaders, were like, man, I can't believe this guy. Did, come on, man. Did somebody not tell him what God just said? Phineas said, oh, no, he didn't. Give me my spear. <laughs> Phineas goes and gets the spear, said, not up in here. Phineas got his spear. And it said he left the assembly, took the spear in the hand, followed the Israelite into the tent, and he drove the spear into both of them, right through the Israelite man and into the woman's stomach. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped. But those who died in the plague, number 24,000, and the Lord said to Moses, Phineas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites. Since he was as zealous for my honor among them as I am, I did not put an end to them in my zeal. Therefore tell him, I am making my covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of a lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. Oh, this is so good. 
Do you not understand that long before Jesus gave us access to the Father, we had an ancestor by the name of Phineas who God established a covenant of a lasting priesthood with him. Touch your neighbor, tell him, you a bad mamma jamma. You don't understand who your daddy and granddaddy are and your ancestors are. That's why you can enter into the presence of the Lord and, and have access not only because of Jesus, but even before Jesus because of a man named Phineas. God says, I'm, I'm establishing an everlasting priesthood with him. God made a covenant of peace with Phineas. He was a brother of covenant. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Bishop Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.